Now, this morning we have one of your favorite Bible stories. And uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to introduce the story. And then I want to ask if anyone can guess what the story is, what the story is about. It seems that one day as Jesus was doing His teaching and His healing and all of His ministry, that a Jewish lawyer came to Him and asked Him a question. Now, a Jewish lawyer, we understand, would have been a Pharisee. They were guys who understood the Old Testament law. They were teachers of the Old Testament law. If you had any question concerning what God requires of man, you come to the Pharisees and particularly a scribe. A scribe would have been the same terminology, generally speaking, for a lawyer. So this guy was an expert in the law, and he came to Jesus with a question. His question was not so much a question of wanting to get some knowledge, but his question was one of testing Jesus. That's what he wanted to do. Now, Jesus had been really on the Pharisees' case. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. And he railed on them like that for the entire rest of the chapter. So they knew they were going to have to do something about this guy because he was giving them fits and all the common people were really applauding because the Pharisees had heaped burdens on men's shoulders that they weren't able to carry. And it seems that everybody except themselves could recognize that. So this guy comes with a question. A lawyer, a Jewish lawyer, would have been accustomed to asking you a question and then when you give the answer, turning that around into another question so that you're being cross-examined. But he didn't realize that he was talking to the judge, the righteous judge. And so he asks the question in a certain spirit. Christ understands his spirit. And Christ answers him in the same spirit. He gives him, in fact, a very unusual answer. And we'll take a look at that before we get to our story. We're just setting up the story. So here is the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why did he ask him that question? Why didn't he ask him, can God create a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Or something like that. Well, that is the fundamental question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the question that each one of us has to ask ourselves at some point. We may be asking ourselves that every day. But if I'm mistaken in that answer, it could be an eternal mistake because we never know the moment at which we're stepping off this planet. So that is the fundamental question. Now, Jesus turns that thing right around on Him. And he says, well, what is written in the Scripture? What sayest thou? I like the King James, don't you? <laughs> what sayest thou? And so this guy's pretty sharp and he knew the right answer and he gave the right answer. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> and Jesus said... You know what? 
you got it right. Do this and live. Now think about that for a moment. Because here we have the law says do right and live. In other words, if you obey the law, you've got it. Eternal life, that's what they're talking about. Now, is Jesus teaching a works salvation? Theoretically, it could be, except for one thing. James 2.10 Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point is guilty of all. So if you could live a perfect life, that would be a good thing and I suppose God would let you in, but we're born with a sin nature. And that means that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the lawyer did not understand that. So Jesus wants to help him understand what his problem is. Do you remember the rich young ruler? What was his problem? Oh, I've done all that. He he thought he had kept the law. You know, 90%, maybe 85, slip up a few times. God's going to overlook that. No, it's got to be absolute holiness if you're going to come into the presence of God in heaven. Now, we know something else because we have the completed New Testament We know about something called grace. We've called the power and motivation to do God's will. And grace says, live and do right. In other words, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you have real life and the Holy Spirit is living in you, then you have the power and ability to keep the law. The law is a good thing. We're not against the law. Paul says the law is good. The law points us to Christ because when we see the law, we see we can't keep the law and we need somebody to do it for us. Christ kept the law, died for our sin of not keeping the law, and then, as we've said many times, was able to transfer His righteous standing before the law over to us. So it's as if we have kept the law in terms of our justification before God. But in everyday sanctification, I am seeking to do right. I'm not just saying, hey, I'm forgiven of my sin. I can do anything. I can live in the way I want to live. No, we have a lot of things in the New Testament that tell us something different from that. We just saw in 1 Peter, be holy, for I am holy. That is the goal. That's the goal of the Christian life. It's to be done with sin and to be moving toward the image of Christ, which is just another word for holiness. So Jesus is answering him along the same lines that he is thinking. And then the lawyer decides to turn that thing around again. And he's thinking in his mind, I believe he's thinking, well, you know, uh, it's pretty clear on God. You can't get out of that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
I mean, who has ever done that for 10 minutes running? That's pretty hard to do when you think of it. But uh, you couldn't, couldn't, no wiggle room there. You couldn't change that. But let's go to the neighbor category. Because I believe this guy is thinking that there are a lot of people in the non-neighbor category. And if we can just get our definitions right, isn't that what lawyers like to do? Get the definitions right and whoever defines best wins. So if we can just define who is my neighbor, and so the lawyer says, who is my neighbor? What's the story? Come on, somebody give what's the story? The Good Samaritan, exactly right. Christopher, are you ready? Now that reminded me of a couple of things, and maybe it did you too. And then we're going to look at things from a different perspective in just a minute. But uh, when Jesus was questioning him about the law, he actually asked him, how do you read it? You see, there'd be two ways to read the law. If you read the letter of the law, you can learn about the justice of God. God's justice is perfect. God's going to settle all His accounts. He may not settle them on Sunday afternoon, June the 8th, but He will settle all His accounts. Some He will settle in eternity. He is the righteous judge. His justice is perfect. But if you don't get past the letter of the law, you never get to the spirit of the law. Now, if you can read the law and you see the spirit of the law, then you can learn about the compassion, the goodness, the mercy of God, and you know a lot more about God's character. So the Pharisee only could understand the letter of the law. And here it is right here. Do right and live. But you've got to do right every time a bullseye. And that would be impossible. And Jesus can't get the guy. I mean, he is offering this information so that the man can see, yes, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. But you see, if he had answered in a truthful way, he would have committed himself. Now, let's uh, think a minute about what John tells us in 1 John 3. Whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, but in tongue, and in deed, and in truth. And much of the epistles of the New Testament define love and what that's supposed to look like. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't proud, all those things. And then there are different situations that would show us how to love people just like this situation. Now, do you think that the priest and the Levite had no excuse? See, we look at those guys and we say, those hard-hearted, and I can't believe they did like that. Pass that guy up right on the road. Have you ever had, um, we probably have this every day, but uh, one of those conversations with yourself, somebody's talking to you, and there's nobody there, but somebody's obviously talking to you. It's yourself talking to you. 
And I'm guessing that uh, the priest's self began talking with him. And here's what I think he probably said. Man, you have had a rough month in the temple. All those sacrifices, you are about worn to a frazzle, and now you're looking forward to getting home, kicking your feet up, and having a week's rest. That is going to be nice. And the priest says back to himself, yeah, those people, I can't believe those people. They didn't sin so much, I wouldn't have to offer so many sacrifices. And this wouldn't be such a difficult job. And self said, yeah, your wife is going to be waiting for you and the children are going to be standing up on the roof there watching for Dad coming down the road. And remember, it'd be wise to get off this road before sundown because bad enough things happen around here in the daytime. And he's thinking on and this conversation goes on there and He's saying, yeah, I probably need to get on home. Oh, what's that? A dead body. Oh, it moved. Oh, no. I can take the blood of bulls and goats, but I can't stand human tragedy, a mangled body. I, I don't want to get involved with this. And besides that, those Levites took that EMT training while I was taking animal husbandry over here so I could take care of all the sacrifices. And if I'm not mistaken... That Levite ought to be coming down this way pretty soon now because he got off the same shift that I did. So uh, he's got the EMT training. We'll let that guy take care of what's coming here. And uh, then he said to himself, you're right. And I can't even lift that guy because if I get my priest suit messed up, then they won't even let me come in the temple. I'll be defiled. Now, he was right about that. Leviticus 21.1. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak unto the priest, the son of Aaron, and say to them, There shall none be defiled for the dead among his people. And later on with the exception of next of kin. So you see, these guys had some excuses. And itself said to him, Yeah, if you're found on the scene with a guy that's dead, you're going to be accused of attempted murder. And you will certainly be accused of assault and battery and maybe even grand larceny. So you better get on out of here. It'd be even better to have one guy dead than two guys dead. And especially if one is a preacher from down at the church, it can help so many people. Do you see the line of reasoning? Now, when we commit a sin of omission, what kind of reasoning do we do? Well, I hope we don't do the same kind. We're laughing, but the devil's laughing too. But all the lame duck excuses that Christians have and the way they're going to make it good. Yeah, when I get home to Jericho, I'm going to write a letter to the mayor and tell him we need some protection out here. We need some armed highway patrolmen out on the road here. Now, that was probably true because that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known as the bloody way. And when it said he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he starts in Jerusalem and over 18 miles it descends in altitude 3,200 feet. So he is going down and it's a desert, desolate, rocky country. Perfect place for the thieves to jump out on you. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that when Herod built his temple beginning in about 30 B.C., you know, he started really 
remodeling the temple and adding on, and it was quite a beautiful place when he finished. In John 2, the Jews said it took him 46 years to build the temple. But Josephus said when he finished the construction, he turned loose a lot of guys, as many as 40,000. Sometimes Josephus exaggerates things a little bit. But there's a lot of workmen working on that temple. And he let those guys go. So that meant they didn't have any employment. So some of them probably turned to a life of crime. And they were hanging out on a bloody way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So you can see that these guys had some excuses. When the Levite came along, what do you think his excuse was? I know that priest got off before I did. As these guys work in Jerusalem, their home was probably in Jericho. We don't exactly know. But we're guessing that he came along in the parable not too long after the priest, and he probably knows the priest came by, and he's thinking, now the priest, he knows the law, he follows the law, he's going to do right, and he didn't want to be defiled by some dead body. I don't know if the guy was unconscious or just uh, what he was. But he's thinking, hey, I defer to the priest. If the priest didn't touch him, I'm not going to touch him either. What I'll do is just offer a prayer and then uh, I'll give him a track here in case he gets conscious again. He'll have some good news to read. And uh, just lay that on his chest. Oh, don't get blood on the track there. And uh, so he's on down the road too. Now, we look at these guys and we think, hey, these guys are terrible. But yet many times we're thinking along the same way because there are many opportunities for good out there and we don't want to do it the way the Pharisees do it, toot a little silver trumpet and all the people gather around and then they give their alms to the poor right downtown where everybody can see and give them credit for it. Uh, We do a lot of good things for a lot of people. So we want to keep that up, but make sure we do it with a heart attitude. Notice these guys, the Good Samaritan, when he got there, he didn't say, I wonder if there's anything in the Torah about this predicament. I wonder if this guy holds to the Nicene Creed in the London Confession. I wonder if he's Calvinistic or Arminian. I better ask him before I do anything for him here. Or if he's Catholic or Protestant or whatever. I wonder if he goes to church. If he does, I better contact his church. Maybe the government will help him. Or maybe let me get my cell phone. I'll call Pacific Garden Mission. We'll get this guy unshackled. He didn't ask any of that kind of stuff. He just went to work helping the man because his heart was right. Now, here's what I want to do. That was a pretty quick shot. We didn't really know what was coming. But I want to run through it one more time And I want to ask you this question. What do you see, what do you think from the perspective of the traveler, the guy who got beaten up? Now, most of the time we're looking at the main lesson of the story here. And, of course, the main lesson is obviously that uh, if you try to keep the law, you're not going to have eternal life. And you've got to love the Lord God, got to love your neighbor. And then the climax of the lesson, who is your neighbor? Because you remember at the end, Jesus asked the guy after he told the little story, he asked the guy, and who was neighbor to the man? And what did he have to say? 
Well, the Samaritan. Now, you know, when they were, uh, when those first two guys came down the road, everybody in the crowd listening to the story, they would have been wondering who is going to be the hero? Who is coming next down the road after the priest and Levite? And I'm sure they thought it was going to be, oh, a Jewish layman to really put those religious guys in their place. But then Jesus threw them a curveball, and it's this Samaritan. You know about the Jews and the Samaritans. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians captured Israel, the northern tribes, and they took some of the people back to Assyria, and they took some Assyrians and brought them down there, and they intermarried, and you know, you're not going to be attacking your mother-in-law in Syria. It's going to be one big happy family. So they were pretty smart in that. But the true Jews down in Judah, the purebreds, they didn't like the Samaritans. So when Jesus makes the hero of the story a Samaritan, they're just all, oh man, I can't believe it. A Samaritan? And yet that's what Jesus wants to tell us. That it doesn't matter about nationality and all these things. What matters is what's in your heart. Do you have Christ in your heart? I don't know exactly what the religion of this Samaritan was, but he was the guy that Christ used to give the illustration. Now, we have Christ in our hearts. I mean, hopefully we have Christ in our hearts. We ought to be bubbling over with desire to help people. And I know that we are. But you've got to have that right attitude. Now, this time, be watching and let's think, what about the traveler? What could we learn from the traveler? Here we go. Okay, now, if you were the traveler, just in a couple of minutes we have left here, what could we learn from the perspective of the traveler? Yes, Jen. Okay. Think he was happy? This guy was on his last leg out there. I'm mean, even glad to see somebody coming along. What else? Yes, Susan. Yes. Yeah, you see, when people look at our lives, they're wondering, why do we do the things we do? Why do we have the values we have? Uh, why would we help somebody when we can't get anything out of it? Are we looking for the Citizen of the Year Award, or what are we up to here? Yeah, Tom. He was helpless. Yeah. Yep. He was completely helpless. He was helpless. Sometimes we have to realize we're helpless before we really want to come to Christ. could recognize the priest he had on that top hat there. And uh, he wondered why didn't the priest help him. He was surprised when someone actually helped him. Because two had already passed by. Why expect that after two, one who is, you know, priest, religious leader, the second guy who's a Levite, still passing by, why would I expect this third person to help? Yep. Probably giving up hope by that time. Uh, we've hired this wasp to fly around to keep everybody alert during first light. And so there he goes. I, I don't think that's the kind that's... That looks like a Christian wasp to me. He's probably not going to sting you at all. 
Now, here's one thing I was thinking. I was thinking about uh, Paul on his missionary journey. Uh, and you remember he had appealed to Caesar in Rome and he was being carried to Rome and had been at Fair Havens a while and they're getting ready to sail across the Mediterranean. And Paul said, Whoa, guys, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur is already gone and you know you need not be sailing at this time of year. But the captain, the centurion, listened to the captain of the boat and the owner and they wanted to get this shipment on over there to Rome and they took off. And I'm thinking of the downfall of those who think they're in for smooth sailing. Now, here's a Christian. He's heading out down the road of life, kind of like that guy, got a little backpack, just cruising along. But is there anything in the Scripture that tells us that there may be trouble out there waiting for us? Now, we're not looking for trouble. Don't get that idea. But is there anything in the Scripture that tells us we need to be wary? The full armor of God. Exactly right. That was one of the things that I was thinking for that guy going down to Jericho. Be armed to the hilt. Have yourself a sword, a dagger, and a machine gun right there in there. And uh, yes, Susan. Okay. He likes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's got some supernatural power. Although we have a greater power. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He's just making sure everybody's paying attention. No problem. Uh, you know what else I was thinking? If that guy could have waited till next Tuesday, there might have been 21 other guys who were going on the road down to Jericho. And it's always better in the Christian life if you're traveling with a group. That's the reason we've got the body of Christ. But look, be careful which group you're traveling with because some groups are not going toward holiness. They're going toward the world. If you get in with that group, you're going to be sucked along in the slipstream. There's no doubt about it. Now some people say, well, I, there's one of me and 20 of them, but I'm going to witness to them. Be careful. They'll be pulling you right along down the way there. Anything else that we can think of? Can anybody think of a verse? First Peter. Do not be surprised, it says, at the fiery trials that come among you. It may not be some robbers out on the highway, but there will be some fiery trials. <clears throat> it's given to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Not for selfishness' sake or self-centeredness' sake, but for His sake. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, yet the Lord... Delivers them out of them all. Tony. He's told us over and over again, you better be ready. We're not just out for a Sunday school picnic here. There are dangers on the road and we want to be prepared. And we want to travel as a group and we want to be armed to the hilt because when the attack comes, we don't want to get sucked in like some people and fall away from the direction we knew we needed to go. Now, anybody that has the real thing that really has life in Christ is not going to be falling away because we saw in our catechism 
that they were nominated before the foundation of the earth. So we're not going to be losing out like that, but you certainly can be influenced in a wrong way and prove that your faith fizzles at the finish. It was faulty from the first. Christopher. James 4.13, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Just don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know how to get ready for it. We get ready with the Scriptures. We want to be strong in the Scriptures and we want to be strong in prayer. And Tuesday night, would you believe, North Group, South Group, we've had a little time of trying to figure things out on that, but we want to get into the Scriptures and we want to get into prayer. Be the regular discipleship, 5.30, young people. Then at 7 o'clock, Give everybody plenty of time. We're in the summertime now. 7 o'clock right here. And also, I am pretty sure it'll be meeting right at the Clarks too. The South Group at the Clarks, North Group at the uh, right here at the church. If you don't like the group you're in, if you've got plenty of gas, you can drive down to another group. <laughs> okay, it's old Good Sam, the Good Samaritan. Think before Tim leads us in our final prayer. Think about who is a person that you've known in your life who is the best good Samaritan that you ever knew. Tim, will you pray for us? Heavenly Father, we are thankful, dear Lord, that you give us your truth. And it's clear to see how you impact our lives with truth. Dear Lord, you made it clear that these things are everyday items that we come in contact with. And we're thankful, dear Lord, that you are not a God who is so far above us in uh, communication that you don't get involved with our every decision. Hmm. You're a God who loves the details of life, the walking in the path, the going to the store, the talking to the person next to you. Dear Lord, we are thankful that you have given us these kinds of opportunities to witness, to reach out to others, to be a hearing person, to be a listening person, to be a person who has a word of truth at the right time. And dear Lord, give us the clarity to hear what you would have us to say, not what comes from sometimes our heart. Dear Lord, also we ask that for those opportunities, that you would show us that boldness, dear Lord, comes from the Spirit, and that we can be bold in Christ at every minute. Thank you, dear Lord, for the truth that you give us. And we just pray for the upcoming lesson in church, that it would be an opportunity for us to impact us again in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, when Jesus teaches you a lesson, when you get a lesson from Scripture, what comes next? I know this boys, students know. A test, right? A test. So be looking for your Good Samaritan test this week. You're dismissed.